0: that you're going to do in and through this word this morning, in your precious name, Amen. Well, church, it's my privilege to um, introduce you to our guest speaker this morning, Pastor Ben. He was so excited when he heard that Jesse was um, in Australia and available to come and share with us this morning. Um, so um, Jesse is um, from Iowa in, in, in America. in However, when he gets up here, you'll be like, that's not an American accent. He is actually from country Victoria and felt um, the call of God to go over there. And he's doing a mighty work um, in that town over there. He... um, is a, is a young man. I'll call him young because he's younger than me. Um, who preaches the love of Christ in power and might, and he's seeing God move mightily over there in that town and doing incredible things. So, this morning, welcome, Je- Pastor Jesse Newman, to the stage.
1: Thank
0: you very much.
1: Awesome. G'day, King's Church. How are you all doing today? Fantastic! It's so great to be in church with you. This is just one of the uh, one of the ACC's just greatest churches, isn't it? Just got a great history. And, uh, and all my life I had grown up and I'd heard about and knew about what God is doing here at King's Church and I'm very honored to be here with you today. So thank you very much and uh, thank you Pastor Trish and Pastor Ben for having me today. Uh, Pastor Ben and I have run in a lot of the same circles for probably 10 years but we have never had the privilege of meeting and the one time I come to his church uh, he leaves. And so I don't know what that's all about but anyway, grateful to be yeah, he did trust me in the pulpit, so that's fantastic, so, so thank you very much, guys, and uh, you may take your seats, and, uh, but seriously, it's, it's such an honor to be here today, uh, I actually lost my voice last night, and um, so that's frustrating. Uh, we've been praying today that God sustains my voice. Uh, I'm just believing that God's going to sustain my voice and uh, that He's going to bless me being here and bless you uh, being here. So let's all just pray uh, that God will be here with us and uh, that our lives would all be changed together today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you're good and uh, that your goodness isn't dependent on uh, a voice or on a, on a style, Lord God, or on a location, but God, that you're just going to be good to every single one of us. And I just ask you to sustain my voice and to prepare my heart and everybody else's hearts in here today to receive uh, everything you want to do in our lives, that every one of us would leave this place having been blessed by being here together, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, awesome, so I was actually born uh, not in country Victoria, um, I'm better than that, um, I was born in Queensland, come on, <laughs> uh, go the Maroons, yeah, I got told that I should be uh, barracking for uh, Canberra this weekend, and uh, I don't know whether that's a good idea or not, if that'll get me punched on my way out the door. But uh, no, I grew up barricading for the Maroons, and uh, since I was born in Ipswich, and uh, my mum tells me that I'm the only good thing that ever come out of Ipswich. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if that's true or not. Oh, and another one. All right, fantastic. God bless you. The two good things come out of Ipswich. And, uh, but then I was raised, uh, I spent like two days there, and actually uh, arriving uh, from on the plane from the USA, on Wednesday morning was only my second day, really ever in Brisbane area. Uh, when I was born, I was only born there because I had some complications with my heart when I was born, and uh, and they couldn't handle that. We actually, I actually grew up around Crossbar uh, Proserpine. Uh, I don't know if that's that way, but I'm just going to point that way. And it's, of course, it's the other way, right? At both campuses today, I point the wrong direction. Uh, anyway, so I grew up in Proserpine until I was seven. Uh, then my parents got divorced. It was a messy, uh, nasty situation, and uh, then we moved to Victoria to live with my grandfather. Uh, and um, uh, just a man of God, he was a street preacher, and uh, got to live there. Uh, got to live with them for a few years. Uh, then I actually spent uh, the, Bethel, the, the nearly ten years of my life before I moved to the United States with my wife in 2012. The, the almost 10 years before that, I got to live in uh, Albury-Wodonga on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. I uh, got employed as a youth pastor at uh, just one of, uh, another one of Australia's greatest churches uh, with Pastor Warren McMartin, who's actually in here somewhere. Um, he surprised me. I walked in the door and Warren was in the room. Where are you, Pastor Warren? Uh, he doesn't like being called out, but anyway, I'm calling him out. And, uh, so he's here today too. There he is. He's not even putting his hand up. Come on. like. <laughs> so can we give my pastor, Pastor Warren, a great hand? And uh, So I'm in ministry because Pastor Warren and Pastor Chris believed in the call of God in my life and uh, will never, ever forget what they did for us. But anyway, in 2012, uh, my wife and I, we felt the call of God to plant a church in Des Moines, Iowa, And uh, Des Moines, Iowa is one of those places that people have only heard of uh, because uh, because every election year, it's the first place to vote, right? And so for about nine months, every four years, America cares about Iowa, and then they forget about Iowa. They know nothing else about Iowa at all, and uh, Australians have never heard of it. And every time I uh, go through customs or I'm at an airport and they hear my accent, uh, and then they, then, then they see on my license that I'm from Iowa. They're like, why Iowa? See, all they know about Iowa is there's a lot of pigs and there's a lot of corn. And uh, so Iowa is where we eat pig and we drink ethanol. And um, so that's where I'm from now. My wife Lauren and I moved there with two kids in 2012 uh, to plant Eternity Church. And, uh, and now we have five kids because there's something in the water in Iowa And uh, we don't know what was doing that, but we just kept having kids, and uh, we're grateful for them. And in fact, in in a second, I want to show you a photo. I haven't put it up yet, but I want to show you a photo of my family. Uh, And I know when people come and preach, they normally have this great, beautiful photo of their families, and they're all dressed up and stuff. But I've got five kids, and it's four boys. It goes, boy, 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 girl, boy, right? And so there's just never a moment that our families actually you know uh, photogenic and so I don't have one of those so I just wanted to show you our messy life in Iowa so whack that up on the screen there and um, that's the um, the rednecks from Australia uh, eating chips and hot dogs on the driveway and actually we moved into this really nice cul-de-sac you know you know every nice neighborhood has that family You know, right? We're that family in our cul-de-sac, right? So we moved into this really nice neighborhood. Uh, The person next door owns Chick-fil-A. The person on the other side is a psychologist for the government. The person across the road is a a high-flying doctor. And then we moved in. And and, uh, the day we moved in... Uh, Judah, which uh, he, he, he's imaginarily up the top there. <laughs> Judah, he, um, he, it's our first day in this fancy cul-de-sac, right? And this is just a stereotypical day at the Newman house. So I don't know if you, this might be too far. You might not even listen to the word after this, but this is us. Uh, Judah, the eldest one up the top there, the day we move in, see, we have a brick fence there. And behind that, it's sort of hidden from the world, you know, do what you want back there, you know. But there's another big tree in front of that, right on, th- on, uh, right on display for the whole cul-de-sac to see. The day we bought that house, Judah just walks out there, unbuttons his fly and just takes a wee on the tree. Right in front of all the lawyers and the doctors and the child protection worker next door and Chick-fil-A the other side. And So that was their They're all like, oh no, the rednecks have moved to town. And we did. So, anyway. But that's our messy life, and we love it. God's been good to us. We actually started the church with about 30, 35 people uh, seven and a half years ago. And uh, and God's just been really good to us. Um, he, he's just blessed everything that we're doing over there. It's grown to about fourteen to 1,500 people every weekend. Uh, bums in seats now. And. Um, and a big reason for that isn't because I'm a rock star. I'm just definitely not. Uh, and, and honestly, my team isn't a team of rock stars either. But I was just somebody who was very aware of my own uh, inadequacies, right? Just very aware that I wasn't good enough. And, uh, and, and it wasn't in like an ashamed way, like, you know, like, oh, I'm nothing. I'm useless. I'm worth. It wasn't like that. It was just that I know that I cannot do what God is calling me to do, and I needed God, and my whole team needed God. We were desperate for God to show up so that Lauren and I and the two kids at the time didn't have to run back to Australia with our tail between our legs. We knew that if, if we were going to be able to stay and do anything significant, we were going to have to get on our knees and ask God and, 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 and intercede and petition God to keep working on our behalves, and that's the, that's the thing. We've been obedient and we've had big faith and we've been willing to work really hard. And I wanna tell you, that's a part of the ingredients of what you're gonna to need to see what God plans for your life to come through. You're gonna need big faith, you're gonna to need to be obedient to the word of God in your life, and you're gonna to have to work hard. Amen? So I wanna to talk to you. Anyone got a word from God in your life? Yeah, give me a wave, you know? Anyone believing God for anything in your life? Give me a wave. Yeah? Good, good, nice and responsive. Uh, at Eternity Church, we always say that we don't come to church just to watch an underdressed Australian perform a message on the stage. We, uh, we go to church to participate in the Word of God, amen? And uh, you are going to receive it better if you participate in it with me, amen? And uh, so anyway, uh, you all want to receive something from God, yeah? Like we all have that one thing that we really want God to do in our lives, Yeah? Yeah, that one thing. But so many people won't pray and they won't ask God to do anything in their lives because they don't believe that they deserve the attention of a holy God. And so they don't think that they have the right to ask God to do anything in their lives. And I think that stems from this crazy notion that we are unrighteous and undeserving. But Scripture says that we are the righteousness of God. That we are the righteousness of God, displayed on earth because of Christ Jesus, amen? So if the Word of God is true, you, my friend, are righteous. Yeah, you didn't earn it. You may have messed up yesterday. You may have messed up on the way to church today, but we didn't create our righteousness. We certainly didn't have to behave ourselves toward righteousness. But God who is holy and God who is righteous got fed up with being separated from us. And so he sent Jesus Christ to make us holy and to make us righteous, amen? And scripture says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, touch your neighbor, say, you are righteous. Touch your other neighbor and say, I'm righteous. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, and that's good news, you know why? Because the righteous deserve, the attention of the Father. The righteous have the attention of the Father. And the righteous are allowed to want things. They're allowed to ask for things. They're allowed to petition God to do things in their lives. Amen. And every one of us has something that we want. In fact, I believe if you're alive, if your heart's still beating, every one of us have something that we need God to do in our lives. Every single one of us. One thing, there's one thing that you want more than anything else on earth, isn't there? For everybody, there's one thing we want more than anything. For some of us, it's for a family member to get saved. For some of us, we've been living with chronic pain for years, and you desperately want to live without pain because God's a healer. Amen? Come on, do you believe that God's a healer? Yeah? (laughs) You want to be able to jump again. You want to be able to dance again. You want to be able to lift up your arms and worship and praise God. Some of you desperately want to buy a house. You know it's okay to ask God for a house. It's okay, God. I want my family to have a house. We don't want to have to keep moving every two years when this house sells. God, we want to have a house that we own. Some of you are desperately believing God that your estranged sons and your estranged daughters would come back to the Lord and come come back into relationship with you. We all have one thing we want more than anything else. I like to call it the promise. The thing God said He's going to do that we're believing God to do. Some of us have already received it. There's something we used to want more than anything else in the world and we received it, and that's good, but you're still alive, so God's got more work to do in your life. Amen? We say there's always a next step with God. You may have just got that, but God wants to do something else with you. You know, when I give my kids a present, I'm not like, all right, you got that. Good fun. Have a good day. Off you go. No, I'm going to give them something else the next day. Amen? When I feed them at dinner, I don't expect that to last them the rest of their lives. Hey, Judah, have a meal. Tomorrow, you're going to have to go get your bow and arrow and kill a deer because I'm done providing for you. No, it's not how it goes. Every day, he's got another thing and another step. Every challenge that you overcome, there's another challenge. Every victory you have, there's another victory to be had, amen. Every prayer that's been answered, there's another prayer to be answered. I want to tell you a story about Someone in the Bible who desperately wanted just one thing. But then after receiving that one thing, he almost lost his favorite thing. And God provided a way out. His name is Abraham. I want to talk about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, scripture tells us that they were very old. And, uh, and that's good news for people who feel old. God's not done. <clears throat> Amen. Your heart's still beating? God's not done. Amen. These guys, there was one thing that they wanted on Earth more than any other thing on Earth. They wanted to have a son. And they did get their one thing, but it wasn't without failure. Good grief, these guys were messed up, I'm not kidding they were messed up. made huge mistakes. They weren't perfect. Abraham desperately wanted to have a son, right? And these guys God blessed them, but it wasn't because they were perfect. It was because they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen? It's because God said, I'm gonna do this in your life. So God comes and does it in his life. Like the dude was crazy. He pimped his wife out twice, twice. He said, yeah, take my wife as your wife. And that guy, that king gave him gold and cattle. He pimped his wife out twice. King Abimelech is like, get this guy out of here. This guy is a curse on our nation. The dude was messed up. These two are proof that even in your error, that even in your mistakes, God will always do what He's promised you He will do. Some of you believed you were called to ministry, but then you went and messed up. You're still called to ministry, you think God like called you into ministry and then you you messed up and, and all of a sudden the archangel Gabriel, he's up there, he's like, God, I told you that that idiot was gonna mess up, but you didn't believe me. And God's like, all right, all right, you were right, I know, I'm sorry, you're all right, we're done with him now. No, before God called you, God who knows the beginning from the end knew every wrong thing you would ever do, every good thing you would ever do, every mediocre thing you would ever do. God's not surprised when we mess up. What he wants to see afterwards is that we get back up and realize that we are a son and a daughter of God and that the blood of Jesus Christ has made us righteous and made us holy. And God is going to honor his promise to those who remain faithful, not those who remain perfect. Amen. Come on. That was good. Amen. High five. These guys were waiting for the promise. And then Abraham, sorry, and then Sarah says, Abraham, God's promised us a son. I've got a brilliant idea, bro. Go sleep with her, and then we'll have a son. So Abraham sleeps with a woman who was not his wife. Now, gentlemen, I know that people say the key to a successful marriage is yes, dear. And at the risk of going against thousands of years of old men's advice, she's not always right. Is there any men in here brave enough to say amen to that? (laughs) Ladies, can you give your husband's permission to say amen? Good. Amen, guys? She's not always right. If your wife says, hey, bro, go sleep with her, it's a trap. It's not going to work out for you. Come on. What happened after that is she's like, well, that woman you slept with, it's like, lady, you told me to do that. It's a trap. They're not always right. These two bozos created an Ishmael while they're waiting for the promise. And what's an Ishmael? An Ishmael's like a thorn in your side. Ishmael is still bothering the church today. Like today, Thousands and thousands of years later, Ishmael is still a thorn in the church's side. But God still gave them the promised Isaac, even though they created a problem that's annoying you and me today. You just got to stand firm on the promise. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And having done everything you can to stand... Stand firm. I love it when the Word of God repeats itself like that. Stand firm. When God's given you a promise, stand firm. And then when you've done everything you can to stand firm, stand firm. Because God's going to do what He promised you He would do. Some of you in here, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit is just awakening dreams and awakening promises in your heart right now things that you forgot about, things that you let shame hold you back from. I pray that God is just just releasing you of that shame, even as I preach right now, and that the dreams and the promises start to come alive in your life again. Let's fast forward a little while. God answers Abraham's prayer, and he and Sarah have a son. His name is Isaac. He's their most prized possession. He's their most prized prayer. He's, He's their favorite person, their favorite thing on earth. They love nothing on earth more than they love Isaac. And we're gonna pick that story up from Genesis chapter two, verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Hold up for a second and picture the thing that you've been asking God for your whole life and he says, give it to me. The thing that your your most prized thing, your favorite thing on all of the earth. And God just says, give it to me. Just give it to me. Now we've got to get past the whole child sacrificing for a minute, right? And uh, let me tell you right now, God did not want Abraham to kill his son. Not for a second did God want Abraham to kill his son? This story is actually in the Word of God to show us that God's not into child sacrifice because even though where Abram was at that time, every culture and religion and nation around them, every single one of them was into child sacrifice. They thought that they could appease the gods by killing their children, by making their kids and their promises pay for their mistakes. This is a story that God puts in the Word of God to show us that, hey, that may be how the world operates, The world may be into making the children pay. The world may be into child sacrifice, but I'm not. In fact, I'm so against that. I'm not wanting your kids to pay, and I'm not wanting your promise to pay. So I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to die in your place. This story's in there to show us that no matter how much we mess up, God's going to provide a way out. Amen. And every one of us can, can relate to wanting something more than anything else on earth. And so every one of us can relate to the danger we feel when, we, when we're carrying the, the one thing we want more than anything on earth, and we have to give it away. I want to pick it up at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him his two servants and his son Isaac, and he went and cut enough wood uh, for the burnt offering. He set out for the place where God had told him, and on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, "Hey, you all stay here with the donkey. while I and the boy go over there. We're going to worship, and then we will come back to you." I love that right now Abraham had so much faith in God that he declares that we are going to come back to you. That we, hey, even if I have to kill this promise, God will raise him up from the dead. Amen. That even if I lose this child on that mountain, God will make him reappear at the bottom of the mountain. But both of us are coming back to you. Abraham knew God so well. He loved God so much. He knew that God is not the God that comes to steal and kill and destroy, but the God that comes to bring life and to bring hope and to bring joy. Amen. And in verse 6, it says, Abraham took wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. The two went on together, and then Isaac spoke up. Isaac's thinking, this is getting fishy. It's like a smell of rat here. Something's not right. Dad, the fire's here, the wood's here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham in faith declares that God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering my son can you imagine you're walking through what feels like the valley of the shadow of death with your most favorite thing in the world with your most prized possession think about the promises that you're waiting god to do in your life think about the children that you prayed your whole life for think about the business that you've sowed everything you've got into and now you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death with the promise walking through with your favorite thing on earth. Verse nine, when they reached the place, God had told him about Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. At this point, I think Isaac's getting freaked out now. <laughs> I can't imagine what my boys would be doing right now. That'd be calling cool child protection next door for sure. <laughs> then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. See, Abraham has so much faith that he's declared that God will provide the offering. He's declared that we will return, but he still had to pick up the knife and be willing to sacrifice his favorite thing on earth. He had to believe that before the knife hits the promise, God will provide, or if the knife hits the promise, God will raise the promise back from the dead. Amen. He's just there in faith because he has declared that we are coming back. Abraham, Abraham, the angel of the Lord calls out, and here I am probably the loudest and the fastest here I am in the history of the world, right? In fact, Isaac probably, he's right here, just here. Dad, they're talking to you. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horn. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. I love that he had declared that on the way to that place. This place is going to be the place that the Lord will provide. And now that I'm at the place the Lord did provide, this place is called the Lord will provide. Church, I want to tell you that no matter what you did, no matter how bad you messed things up, whether you were as bad as this bloke or anyone else in Scripture that has a messed up story, there is a ram in the thicket. The Lord will provide. When you face what feels like the end of your promise, you need to stand firm. When it looks like you've been defeated, you need to stand up and say, We will be back. Amen. The Lord will resurrect this thing. I can promise you that the Lord will provide. We need to be like Abraham and say, God, I'm going to obey you. God, I'm going to follow you. Even when it feels like you got me running in the other direction, I'm going to obey you. Hey, if, if the promise in your mind, if you can look and see the promise over there to the left, but God tells you to run to the right, guess where the promise is? The promise is on the right. Even when it feels like God's got you running in the other direction, you say, God, I will obey you. God, I will follow you. Because if, it, if, if you say it's over there, then God, the promise is over there. I know you well enough to know God that the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy, that you have come to give me life. You'll never steal from me. You'll always provide a way out of this mess. There's a ram in the thicket. Amen. And that's all good. God's going to provide the promise. Everything God said he would do in your life, God's going to do it. Stand firm. And when you've done everything you can to stand firm, Stand firm. If you're running the other way, because God said run that way, the promise is that way, amen? He's going to do what He promised He would do in your life. But I want to tell you something really important. You actually can be happy without the promise. You can be happy right now without the promise. You don't want the promise to make you happy. While you wait for the promise... And even after you have the promise, the only way to be really happy is to serve only one God. Amen. Don't let the promise become your God. Don't let the desire become more important than, than the God who gives you the desire. Amen. See, Abraham realized that it's God who completes him, not the promise. Abraham was willing, even though he believed that God wouldn't require it from him, he was willing to live without the promise. It's kind of like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego standing by a fire, making a declaration. They believed that God would honor his promise, keep them alive to serve a greater purpose. But they declared, our God is able to save us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. What they're saying is, we believe that God would not take this from us, but it's not the promise that we serve, it's God that we serve, amen? And we need to be the same, because if you're waiting for the promise to make you happy, you aren't ever going to be happy. If you're waiting for a spouse, for a spouse to make you happy you aren't ever going to be happy. If you're waiting for the child to come into your life to make you and your husband or you and your wife feel whole and complete, you'll never ever feel whole or complete. But if we can be like Abraham, and if we can be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and say, my God will provide, but even if He does not, I'm going to find my joy and my hope and my happiness in Him. He is enough for me. He will provide a son. He will heal this chronic pain. He will restore my marriage. He'll provide me with a spouse. But even without that, God is enough for me. It's not a lack of faith. It's the ultimate faith statement. God's going to provide for me. I believe He'll provide for me like this. But whatever happens, I know that God is going to provide for me. Because if I can't be happy with Jesus only, I'm never going to be happy with Jesus and a spouse. Jesus and a child, Jesus and the job, Jesus and the healing. Come on, I'm always going to want something else to make me happy. I want to find my my wholeness and my joy and my happiness. Come on, everlasting joy. Come on, the prince of peace, amen. Peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm going to find it in him alone. And then, and then when the promise comes, It's going to enrich my life. It's not going to be my life. It's going to enrich my life. I'll have even more joy in what he's given me when I was happy before he gave it to me. I want to talk to people, though, for a moment who have been letting shame hold them back from receiving the promise. So many people aren't willing to ask God for things because they've messed up. So many people, they're like, oh, I've been married three times before. And I messed it up every single time. And now I don't even deserve to ask God for a spouse now. Ah, uh, I had three businesses. I messed them all up. I cheated on my taxes. I wasn't a very good dad. I cheated on my wife. cheated on my husband. I want to tell you right now. That before you did what you did, God who made you a promise knew what you would do. That's heavy, I know. Before you did what you did, God knew what you would do, and He made you a promise. And He didn't say, hey, if you be perfect, I'm going to provide for you. He didn't say, if you never sin, I'm going to provide for you. You know the story of David, right? a man after my own heart, God calls him. Dude didn't just sleep with someone else's wife. He killed the dude, right? Like, that's jacked up. And on earth, we're like, that ain't right. God, you can't call that guy a man after my own heart. Now, don't get me wrong. God's never, ever been in the business of excusing our bad behavior. Not once has God ever made an excuse for our bad behavior. Oh, Dolly made me do it. No, you did it. Oh, the devil tempted me and you said yes, right? God's never, ever made an excuse for bad behavior. But what did God do the very first time that people's bad behavior made them feel ashamed? It's in Genesis. In Genesis, in the book of Genesis, God's walking through the Garden of Eden and he's like, Adam and Eve, where are you guys? I want to hang out. And they're like, oh, we're hidden. We're just hiding because we're naked and we're ashamed. That's the very first recording in all of Scripture that any person was ever ashamed. And what did God do? The first thing God does in response to somebody's shame is to kill some animals, make some garments, and cover their shame. And cover their shame. That's what God does. God is in the business of looking for shame so he can cover it. And then that moment he set in motion the very, the, the, very, uh, the very cause of events that would lead to his son dying on a cross, paying the ultimate price, paying for the sin and the shame of every person, past, present, and future in the world. That's what happened the first time God saw shame. And you think that God's up there surprised that you messed up trying to remove the promise of God from your life, trying to say you don't deserve to have a kid, you don't deserve to have a home, you don't deserve to have a spouse. No, God's not doing that. God's looking for you and saying, let me cover your shame. Let me cover your shame. The world is looking for opportunities to ridicule people, to hurt people, to expose people, but God is looking for opportunities to cover your shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen. And I believe that the flip side of that verse should be, there should therefore now be no condemnation coming from those who are in Christ Jesus, amen. So if you're sitting in church and someone sitting next to you went and messed up last week, there should therefore now be no condemnation coming from those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody in this place is welcome in the house of God, amen. And God wants to cover your shame, release you of that and set you up to receive the promise of God in your life. I believe if we can step out of our shame, Find happiness and joy and hope in God alone that the promise and the place that God provides will be just around the corner, just around the corner, as long as we just don't let the one thing we want more than anything on earth become the one thing we want more than anything in heaven. Church, would you all stand up with me right now? I could have the band come up and play the flute and the lyre and the harp up here on stage. That's old King James for beat the drums, play the electric guitar and make a really joyful noise. Amen. (laughs) If you're in here and you messed up, if you're in here and you made a mistake, there's a ram in the thicket. For every one of you, there's a ram in the thicket. Come on, someone say amen. Amen. There's a ram in the thicket. I know it's hard because it makes no sense that I can mess up and still receive the gift of God in my life. You ask my mate Mark, who's known me for 15 years, or Pastor Warren, who's known me for probably 15 to 20 years. I have messed up so many times. I've made a fool of myself and both of them. And thank God, there's a ram in the thicket. Can I be really brutally honest for you all for a second? Is this all right? Can I be really honest? I've already preached the sermon that I hope you received it. So I'm going to say something that you'll either forget everything I just said or help you understand. I was a youth pastor in Wodonga. And I got caught buying a porno at a gas station. I was like, I took it back and I said, uh, I probably shouldn't have bought this. And the lady goes, aren't you Pastor Jesse? And I was like, oh, crap. course you had to know exactly who I was she's like oh yeah we go to your church I'm like oh that's fantastic and then she lied to me and said (laughs) and said don't worry since you brought it back I'm not going to tell Pastor Warren or anybody else I was like that'd be fantastic I'd really like to not get fired that'd be great and um I'm glad you were smart enough to know that wasn't the first one I bought, right? And so the next day, I go into youth. I go into church. And I see her walking down the stairs from Pastor Warren's office. And I'm like, oh man, all right. I guess I'm not gonna be a pastor anymore. You know, I'm not gonna plant that church one day. And Pastor Warren, you know, I'm like, "Ah, oh, man. So I go up there. And I don't remember exactly what Pastor Warren said, but it was basically, I was, I was about to go to youth. And it was basically this. Hey, you messed up. And um, you're going to need some help to break free of this. And so he made me meet with somebody to talk through that. But he said this, he goes, after, church, after youth tonight, it's a Friday night, after youth tonight, I want you to come to my house and talk to me. And then he told me to go and preach like someone who actually understands what it's like to need Jesus. Someone who understands grace. That's what he said to me. And I went to his house afterwards and he just prayed for me and just loved me. He just told me it's going to be right and that that I need to meet with someone. And I had to meet with someone pretty intense for a long time just to make sure that 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 doesn't get a hold back in my life again. There was a ram in the thicket. People say that that boy shouldn't have got to keep being a youth pastor, let alone one day go and plant a church and have influence in a state over in America. But I thank God there was a ram in the thicket. And I thank God that there was therefore now no condemnation coming from that man who was in Christ Jesus. We've never really talked about that uh, since I left. I'm going to tell you, there's a ram in the thicket for you. I don't know what you did. I don't care what you did. But you need to step out of shame today and step back into the calling and the purposes of God in your life. I wasn't going to end it here. I'm I'm not even going to talk about everything else I talked about. This is where we're going. We're going to have an altar call today, a shame-breaking altar call. People have been living in shame. But here's the thing. It's not only shame of things you did. Some of you are living in the shame of things that other people did to you, did near you, that broke your heart, that made you feel worthless, that made you feel unworthy. Maybe you come from that family. I'm telling you, I grew up in that family. Our family was so, it was jacked up every way to Sunday. It was unreal. And I did struggle with that growing up too. Man, man. Look at all these great families in church and then there's us, you know, like. We're going to have a shame-breaking altar call today because there's a ram in the thicket. Can everybody in the room close their eyes? I think it's important to give people some privacy for a second, just for a second. If you've been living in shame, or you've been living of the shame that other people. Either way, shame from things done to you or around you or shame of things that you did, while not one person's looking around at this moment. Just lift up your hand, show me who you are. Just lift up your hand. There are hands up all over this place. Come on, lift up your hand if that's you as well. There are hands up everywhere. Put your hand down for a second. I'm telling you right now, the best way to break out of shame is to break out of shame. Shame wants to keep you in your seat right now so people don't try to wonder what it is you did or what it is you grew up in. And shame will keep you. See, the shame of people knowing you have shame will keep you in shame. That's ridiculous, right? Let's not do that. We're going to have a shame-breaking article. There was 20, maybe 30 hands that went up in this room. You need to come down the front in just a moment, step out of your seat. You know what? Well, let's pretend that that seat is where your shame is. You're going to step out of that seat, come down the front, and pray that God, who has already provided a ram in the thicket, would release you of that shame in Jesus' name, would release you into the promise, would release you into the calling and the purposes of God on your life. Amen. They have not changed. They haven't changed. There's a story in the Bible when Egypt is just plagued with frogs and stuff, right? Frogs everywhere. There's frogs in people's shoes, in their beds, in their blenders, everywhere. There's frogs everywhere. You couldn't walk anywhere without stepping on a frog. Frogs was the nation's worst problem. And then Moses gives an altar call and says to Pharaoh, Hey, Pharaoh, when do you want me to ask God to relieve you of these frogs? And Pharaoh goes, tomorrow. What? Tomorrow. He wants to sleep with the frogs again. He wants to have frogs in his bed, and his blender. He wants this putrid, filthy smell of frogs for one more night. And it seems ridiculous, but don't we do that every Sunday? When God says, hey, when do you want me to release you of this shame? And we're like, I got this next Sunday. This week, I'm going to try and fix it myself. See, Pharaoh did that. He got his magicians and his wizards and everybody to try and fix the frog problem and doubled the number of frogs. We do that. Oh God, I need help in my marriage. So I'll try and fix it myself. And we make it worse. Hey, if you're in shame today, Let today be the last day that shame holds you back. Amen. We're not going to have one more night with the shame. We're not going to have one more night with the frogs. We're not going to have one more night being held back from the gift and the promise and the calling and the purposes of God in our lives. So right now, right now, I want you to come down the front, step out of your seat and say, I'm not having one more night. Not doing this. I'm stepping out of that shame today, right now. Yes, I did that. Yes, I said that. Yes, they did that. But today, I'm stepping out of shame, and I'm stepping into purpose, and I'm saying yes to that ram in the thicket, and I'm stepping into calling and promise in Jesus' name. Church, I'm going to pray for everybody, then we're going to come down. And we're gonna have all the pastors and leaders in this place pray for all you guys, I I believe. Yeah, cool. But right now, let's reach out our hands to these people down here, because we're breaking shame. We're breaking shame. And we're gonna expect that you aren't gonna walk in the shame of having, oh, my kids don't follow Jesus. Hey, you're called by God. We're breaking shame. So reach out your hands down, down the front here. Lift up your hands. Get ready to receive what God wants to do in your life. And everybody out there who's got faith to believe in a shame-breaking God, reach out your hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there's always a ram in the thicket. There's always uh, there's always a way out. There's always a way back into the promise and the calling and the purposes of God. God, for those people down here that that did things, that, that, that did shameful things, things that have Cause shame to be stuck on their lives, things that hurt other people, hurt their relationships, hurt their marriages, hurt their family. God, we break that shame off their lives right now in Jesus' name. God, we break it off. It's gone in Jesus' name. And God, we pray for people in here who have been hurt by others, people who grew up in abuse, people who have been raped, people who have been lied to, people who have been rejected and dejected, people who have been forgotten. God, we break that shame off their lives. Holy Spirit, we break it off their lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would protect them now from that feeling of unworthiness, from that feeling of unrighteousness, from that feeling of unholiness. And that as they leave this place today, they would declare that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that God, you would help them to step into the power and the purpose that you designed for each and every one of them in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: If we could have the pastoral team and um, the Connect leaders just come down and pray.